Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Wednesday, 10th of April, 2019. Mark Pender is across the Palm stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London, but only just back from Budapest where I'm happy to say the local economy looks to be doing pretty well and the goose confit is truly outstanding. And talking about standing, Mr. Pender, I see that the US unemployment market returned to form last month. So is it back to all smiles at the Fed? Back to all smiles at the Fed. Um, uh, well, I, you know, we had a, a big bounce back in March, uh, 196,000 uh, payroll gain. Uh, this is from a revised, uh, slightly upward revised 33,000 in February, which was a shockingly uh, low result. Um, the What's interesting, though, is that we had yesterday um, – um, Tuesday, the JOLTS report, which is lagging data uh, for February, mm -hmm. and it clearly showed um, declines in job openings and uh, sharp declines in hiring, um, which you know suggests uh, that the labor market somehow, um, you know, uh, weakened uh, noticeably in February. And it raises the question, you know, are these seasonal adjustment issues? Are all these going to go away? I mean, that's a risk right now to this data. And um, if the first quarter comes in and uh, like March, April and May, um, the, you know, they're going to have to worry. The, the stats guys are going to have to go back and, and wonder about their seasonality in these uh, data. Oh. So, so I think that that's a risk. Can, that's can I just interrupt you there? Because sure. do we have the same sort of story being told by both the establishment survey and the household survey. I know obviously they're measuring slightly different things, but are we getting a consistent picture out of those? We're, uh, the household survey um, has been, uh, well, let me get the, actually, let me just call up that data. The, um, the headline in the household uh, survey is the unemployment rate, which has held steady at 3.8%. Um, and uh, I'm just going to look at the mix here between um, the uh, components in there. And it's been, oh, the, yeah, well, you know what? We've had a decline, uh, uh, a, a bit of a, a rise and then a bit of a fallback in the pool of available workers, which is the combination of those looking for a job and those wanting a job. Uh, it has been more steady. It hasn't shown that same kind of um, huge uh, swings. Um, and uh, also, um, but earnings have uh, also shown a little bit of of a swing. Um, and the jobless claims, you know, another another interesting uh, measure is the Labor Department's weekly jobless claims. And they had been climbing earlier in the year, which is a negative for the uh, employment mm -hmm. uh, market. Um, but then they started to come back down after the government shutdown. They have really kind of given you a head fake, and now they're back at historic lows. And uh, so if you look at at all these uh, pictures, I, I think maybe the establishment uh, uh, data on uh, on February were a, a statistical outlier. I guess we'll have to uh, uh, we'll have to see. Um, but for the Fed, I think um, the employment, uh, a market is uh, labor market is is very strong. Jerome Powell is not worried about uh, wage inflation, um, and I I think we should also be talking about inflation too, uh, because we had the CPI data um, this morning and it was mixed. It showed uh, a little bit more traction overall and a little bit uh, slower traction, un unexpectedly so for the core rate. Excuse me. 
um, for the core rate. Um, and uh, we also had inflation expectations. They're at year and a half lows. Um, inflation right now is kind of stable to tilting a little bit downward. And Jerome Powell was saying he, he's not concerned. He actually said that about uh, the risk of wage inflation. So if they're not concerned about the risk of wage inflation, then um, it does look like it's going to be a dovish uh, year, certainly, for the Fed. Okay, so effective what we could be talking interest rates being at current levels by year end? I think so, yeah. Uh, and I guess the bias, the general ex- expectation bias is to the downside. Um, it would take a, an unexpected surge of uh, economic uh, uh, strength for it to uh, move to neutral or to uh, move back to the uh, rate hikes. Just, you know, the Fed was just uh, raising rates back in um, December, and they're yeah. still in quantitative tightening. They're still not accommodative. Um, and they're winding this down, but everything the Fed does is like slow motion. It's not, they're not moving on a, they, they kind of raised rates last year just because they said they, they, uh, the, that was what they were going to do. And they did. And, um, uh, and, and the same kind of thing with, I think with, uh, with, uh, the exit from, uh, from the quantitative easing that, um, uh, it's just, uh, a very, it's a slow, uh, slow motion, this unwinding from the easing to the tightening for the last year and a half um, has been super deliberate. And um, I think the markets kind of have a, an idea of they want to turn on a dime. And the Fed, I don't, I don't think, thinks like that. So they're going to, I think that they're going to have to be patient because that's what they've said they're going to be. Okay. Well, I suppose talking of patience, there's also the same sort of issues, I guess, apply to the ECB. And we had uh, the April meeting taking place a day early today um, for the European Central Bank, as widely expected. uh, No change in interest rates there. So we've still got the refi rate at zero, deposit rate at minus 0.4%, and the marginal lending rate at 0.25%. Also, though, they left their forward guidance unchanged, which essentially means that uh, possibly like the Fed, uh, there'll be no change change in interest rates until at least the end of this year. Um, and also the ECB will continue to reinvest its uh, maturing investments for what they call an extended period of time past the date when they finally start to raise ECB interest rates. So in other words, we're talking about a very soft and accommodative stance out of a European Central Bank, at least over the foreseeable future. Now, um, um, can yeah. I interrupt you? Now, uh, Please do. You had a lot of data this morning and it looks pretty strong. Uh, um, out of the UK. Uh, is this changing um, any of the the bias? Well, it's interesting. I'll just put it into context. So you say there have been some interesting numbers, not just out of the UK, but out of sort of Euro, Europe, European manufacturing over the course of the last few days. Now, over you know, the last several podcasts, we've been talking about what appear to be the dire, straight of, the dire straits of um, European manufacturing in general, but particularly in Germany. Well, over the course of the last few days, for the, uh, the February data anyway, we've seen German manufacturing, or industrial production, I should say, for Germany. How is that? up 0.7% on the month um, in February. And that was after the, the January decline of what almost not, almost 1% had been revised to flat. So all of a sudden, German manufacturing is looking a little bit better now. Today, we've had news that French industrial production was up 0.4%. And that was after a 1.2% increase in January. And Italy, which was seriously marred in recession at the back end of last year, we saw an increase in uh, production there of 0.8%. And that was after January had been 
revised up to 1.9. So all of a sudden, what originally looked like being, well, a pretty terrible first quarter as far as Eurozone manufacturing is concerned, it now looks as if we, well, we could possibly see, or that probably will see, unless we get some more revisions coming through, a positive contribution from the sector to Eurozone growth. And this is March data? This is March data? This is, this is February data, so we're still waiting oh, the, on March. Okay, so, what is, is there a, you know, a, a bias here, a statistical, uh, any issues? Not well, not not obvious. Um, I think to be fair, I mean, to be honest, I'd be very surprised if we don't see some kind of reversal coming through in the March numbers. But without revisions to what we have at the moment, you're going to have to see, you know, really chunky declines in output in March if we not see the first quarter post a positive figure. And as you talked about earlier, the UK numbers got a bit sidetracked on the eurozone, but Uh the UK showed exactly the same thing. So manufacturing output in February is up almost one percent on the month, and that was after. What January had been revised up to more than one percent. So again, UK manufacturing, which a lot of the soft surveys have been suggesting, is really struggling now under the weight of all this Brexit uncertainty. Well, it looks as if the first quarter is actually going to be pretty good. Um, indeed, so got, is this global yep. slowing thing now? Is this all? Uh, was that a head fake? Is this all passe now? We're into. I don't. I don't think so. I think, as always with markets, they tend to go too far one way and then they go too far the next way. So I still think if you put a straight line through all this little lot, we're still talking about certainly as far as Europe's concerned, you know, soft or sluggish growth and the tendency for the on the downside. And I still think that kind of apply, applies globally as well. But certainly, I think for most central banks, it's still the case of you know if they're going to cut interest rates, if their next move's going to be down, it's not going to be for some while. And the ECB is going to cut rates for a long while. The Bank of England, particularly after today's numbers, I mean, it's already got a very gentle tightening bias. Well, I expect that will be reinforced at their next meeting in May. Um, so, yeah, it's still the case, I think, by and large, that, as we can see some from the trade data, that uh, the global slowdown is still in place. It may not go that far, much further, perhaps, but certainly we're still talking about you know, generally sluggish growth, I think. Well, you know, next week here in the U.S., we're getting retail sales for March. Um and uh, this will be, they'll finally be, the uh, Census Department will finally catch up from the government shutdown on the data release. Um, but this could be a very interesting report. Uh, yeah, the, er- the early call um, is mixed, uh, but a, a moderate gain uh, overall. Um, and uh, some of forecasters are, are looking for a very, very sharp gain. Um, let's not forget that really that, December crushing and you know December had a crushing blow on retail sales you have to go back to the recession to to see anything like it. I think it was 1.6% in the revised decline but we saw the same decline in Europe too right I mean um what was it why did this combine like that to get this really super significant decline and since then it's been choppy but um, like the the idea of the consumer uh, is still uh, you to get a handle on it. You still have to figure out what happened during the holidays. Do you have any ideas? Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think in in the broader context of Europe, I think something which was important, although it's still quite hard to to justify its overall impact, is the introduction of uh, tighter emission zones on vehicles, which came into September. Now, that resulted in a fairly decent increase in retail sales before September. And then we subsequently saw the pullback as people essentially stopped buying the cars that they might have been going to before. So I think that was well, Sorry. ex-autos. Um, let's talk about holiday sales. Uh, so, um, what about ex-autos? I mean, the ex-auto it, it looks the same over here. Uh, 
Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, the retail sales for December um, for the Eurozone, what, where are we? Down 1.6% on the month. And that's, that is excluding autos. So the numbers there were ooh. pretty horrible. But uh, having said which, when we got the January numbers out, um, they were up 1.3%. I think yeah, before we talked about this problems with perhaps seasonally adjusting around the, tar- around the turn of the year, um, that still looks as if it could be you know, a major issue. But February retail sales out the Eurozone were up, what, 0.4% excluding mm. autos. Mm. So, yeah, again, I think you know, it is very volatile. Put a straight line through the last three months. And essentially, though, you're still talking only flat as far as Europe's concerned. Yeah, well, you know, the ex-autos in December were minus 2.1%. These are just huge declines. Yeah, that's a big number, yeah. And it don't, we, we got to bounce back almost half of that in uh, 0.9 in January, but then we went back down again uh, in uh, February. Uh, let's see, I was a couple of tenths, I think. It was four, it was four tenths ex-autos in February. So, um, like I say, some forecasters are calling for a major rebound in March. Most are calling for a modest rebound in March. But, you know, for, for the U.S., the consumer is the, is the gauge and the driver of the economy sure. by far uh, and domestic buying. And if, um, if that's weak, uh, uh, the Fed isn't going to be uh, raising rates. But if we do see or uh, we'll be holding neutral, but if we do see, a, you know, uh, a big snapback, and it could be because market rates are uh, mortgage rates are coming down for the housing sector. This I mean, I'm talking about second quarter strength now. Um, that's a wild card, a very positive wild card, and they're coming down very sharply. We're getting a lot of mortgage applications, um, so there is a possibility of a of a big uptick in second for the second quarter. And I think that this March um, retail sales will be a uh, could foreshadow what, what what we can expect in the second quarter next week. Investors, watch out. Um, I guess before we finish, I should, dare I mention it, just quickly have a touch on Brexit, um, since yet again, this could be a very important week as far as um, issues are concerned. Um, as we speak, the, uh, the EU leaders are holding an emergency summit um, which will be to discuss the UK's latest request for another extension of the Brexit deadline. They're already working at the moment um, under the, the extended the original deadline to the 12th of April. So that's this Friday. And if nothing changes between now and then, the UK will duly fall out of the EU without a trade deal on Friday. But the Prime Minister here has officially requested an extension to June the 30th, and the EU leaders will be discussing what happens there. At the moment, the talk is that the EU, which is getting thoroughly cheesed off with what's going on in the UK, will insist upon a much longer extension. Um, If President Macron from France gets his way, we're probably talking at least the best part of a year. So and and that, that would kill yeah. off Brexit, wouldn't that just kill off? Uh, well, this is, see, this is uh, you may well be right, and this is what the Brexiteers, uh, the guys in UK Parliament who want to see Brexit at all costs, are getting increasingly worried about. Their concern is that you know, if we do see yes another extension, it probably will be a long one. And then what happens between now and then? You may well be right that Brexit itself never actually happens. So even if the UK is offered this longer extension, and it's not guaranteed we'll actually get the offer in the first place, but I do think the EU will, will, will offer something. It may not be able to get through the European Parliament, uh, sort of through the UK Parliament. So currently things are still very much in the air. But I think you know, one of the problems for, for Europe is that 
it, the idea of another short extension, well, what's the point if we couldn't get it sorted before? You know, what's another, sh- another short extension going to do now? But you know, one of the, the problems is that we have these European parliamentary elections coming up in May. And if you're still a part of the European Union, which the UK may well be, um, you have to um, have a vote in the European Parliament, which means the UK would still have to be part of the European Parliament, even though in theory it should be leaving the European Union at some point in the future. So it's all getting extremely messy in terms of uh, the whole range of politics across both the continental Europe and the UK at the moment. And it's still anyone's guess as per usual as to which way this thing is going to end. But it's in Europe's interest or the continental Europe's interest for them to have the UK still there, right? And that's... Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, best case for Europe, even though they're still shrug their shoulders but best case for them would be for the uk government to say look we, we this isn't going any further we're going to revoke article 50 which the uk can do on a unilateral basis and simply say right we don't want to leave the eu after all we just go back to square one and everyone's happy now that you is, just came you just came back from budapest would there and uh, is would if you did this after the uk would leave would there be a difference in the vacation plans or how you would would go about you'd have to carry Wait, I tell you, it's interesting at the moment um, because a lot of the the travel companies in the UK, um, they've been hit significantly because of Brexit uncertainty. Um, I mean, it's not clear what the state of um, tourism, you know, the, the facilities surrounding the UK tourists in continental Europe would be were Brexit to happen. Hmm. Um, already there's been some talk about you know, if you want to hire a car you may have to apply for a separate license or this kind of thing whereas at the moment you know, a UK driver's license works across continental Europe so there's a lot of uncertainty about that and what it has done is to lead to a boost in bookings for UK residents having UK based holidays so hmm. that's certainly if nothing else you know, been, a, been a small plus for the tourism side of the economy <laughs> so yeah there's all sorts of implications all over the place at the moment and it's still as we speak no clear but certainly I should just mention but there is expected to be a press conference um, later on this evening um, I think as things currently stand at 18.30 Brussels time there will be a working dinner at which uh, the EU leaders and Theresa May uh, will be attending and once that's finished there should be some kind of press conference about what happens next watch this space <laughs> Okay, well, I guess then that's probably enough for today. On behalf of Mark and myself, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back again next week. Bye for now.